0: All right. Hello and welcome to the For the Wind Podcast. I'm Ted Berg, joined by phone today by a special guest, uh, Oakland A's reliever, Sean Doolittle. Sean, how's it going? It's
1: going well, thanks for having
0: me. Thanks for doing this. I imagine this is a bit, pretty busy time to be a Major League Baseball player uh, three days before opening day. Hey man, it's getting me—it's getting me out
1: of unpacking uh, the apartment. Uh, we have boxes and and bags and suitcases all over the place. So, um, I was more than happy to come on right now.
0: <laughs> nice. Well, I'm I'm glad to hear we could help. And and uh, you know we've had a lot of athletes on, and and a lot of guys like to come on and and have a, a product that they're pitching or something, and that's cool. But uh, you've got a. a uh, something a little bit more important, I think, that that you're talking about today, and and I want to hear about uh, Michael's way and what you're doing with them.
1: Yeah, so um, this off season, I partnered with a company called Athletes Brand, and um, they make apparel, sports apparel, um, t-shirts mostly. Um, but what they do is they get. An athlete, um, in my case, they use the term very loosely, Um, they get a professional athlete to design a shirt, custom design a shirt, and attach it to a charitable cause. And um, I chose to attach my shirt to a charity, an organization called Michael's Way, um, which they do some amazing work. They're headquartered in in Philadelphia, and um, so I... I I heard a lot. I saw a lot of the stuff that they were doing in in communities when I was growing up in South Jersey. And, um, so when people buy the shirts, they go to athletesbrand.com. they buy the shirts and proceeds of the shirts, go to the charity, um, that the player has chosen. Um, and that's how you raise money and awareness for the charity. So, um, my shirt is available right now on athletesbrand.com. It's, uh, it's, um, The the theme of the shirt, uh, it says, do or do not, there is no try. And um, it was inspired by um, my friend Danny Hill, who is currently, he's currently a high school uh, student at at the school that I went to. And and he was a big time baseball player and, and he's in his fourth battle with cancer right now. Um, he's an amazing kid, uh, unbelievable kid. He's become one of my best friends and that's kind of been a mantra that he's adopted as he's gone through this process. So when athletes brand approached me, it just seemed like a, like a natural fit.
0: Well, inspired by Danny Hill, but also inspired of course, by Yoda.
1: Yes, there is some Jedi overtones to it. Um, I, I must admit, but, um, you know, it's that, it's that message, it's that positivity and it's that, uh, You know, like Danny said, he's not trying to beat cancer. He is beating cancer. And uh, it's that kind of mentality that I think, uh, you know, hopefully comes through and and hopefully is like uh, inspiring enough that people might want to chip in and buy the shirt and uh, help out Michael's way.
0: How'd you get to know Danny?
1: Um, Let's see. It was uh, 2014, early in the 2014 season. uh, My high school coach um, reached out to me and, and, he really just told me kind of what Danny was dealing with. He was going to be an incoming, incoming freshman, And apparently he was, he was going to be kind of the future of the high school baseball program. He was, uh, he was a really, really good shortstop and pitcher. And um, he, he, he had found out that, that he had cancer. They found cancer in his leg. And and at the time that my coach reached out to me, they had gone in and and removed uh, several inches of his femur. So, his baseball career was, you know, put on hold. And he wanted me to reach out to him and, and offer him some support and some, uh, encouragement and, and let him know that, you know, I was thinking about him. And, um, you know, it, it, it one thing kind of led to another and, um, you know, here we are three, four years later and, and we still text, um, and talk several times a week. And, um, I've gotten to know him and his family and, um, He's an amazing kid, man. He, you, you would have no idea, um, what he's, what he's been through, what he's going through his, his attitude and, and his energy are, uh, infectious, man. It's, it's, it's incredible. Um, you know, seeing the things that he goes through, but then also seeing the way like, you know, he'll stay up late and, and watch A's games. Um, and yeah, you know, he'll text me about them. I'll come back in after an outing, I'll have a text message from him or something. And, um, it, it's, it's become a, a really cool friendship. Um, and so, like I said, when, when athletes brand approached me about, about doing a shirt, uh, for a charity, that was the first thing that came to mind. And, and his family, um, fortunately has been in a good position to with the you know, pay the medical costs. But what Michael's way does is, you know, so many times when a family is affected by childhood cancer, um, they throw all of their money and all of their resources into the treatment and to fight cancer. And sometimes, um, there are some other financial obligations that, um, get missed or get put on the back burner. And, and that's where Michael's way comes in. They help with that stuff so that the families can, uh, can use their resources to, to fight, the, to fight the cancer. So Danny and his family have, have worked with them before. And, um, uh, and they've even done some fundraisers for Michael's Way themselves, so it 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 um it seemed like a natural fit.
0: Yeah, and I I want to get to a lot more about you and the A's and and pitching and baseball, but uh, just to that, I mean, uh, unfortunately, I can actually uh, speak to that maybe better than most, and, and sort of a similar situation, I guess. Um, in my family, we're, like I didn't grow up anything like poor or anything like that, and, and uh, unfortunately, you know, my and he, he wasn't a child, but my, my older brother got, got cancer and was very sick, and my family, all of a sudden, it went from like I've never had a real problem in my entire life to my senior year of college going to my bank account. There was only two dollars in it, and I literally went out on the street and played the trombone on the street corner to get enough money to pay for gas to drive out to my boss to get an advance on my salary. Because you know, all of a sudden, my, my dad was a a, a businessman who who worked for himself. So, uh, you know, he's driving back and forth to Boston trying to help my brother. And and all of these, you know, we think about insurance and like, okay, well, insurance is going to cover a lot of this treatment. But I think, and I've seen it close uh, up front, there are so many costs associated with battling a disease like that and, and how long it can take that we don't really factor in when you think about uh, uh, how it might impact a family. So I think it's a, it's a great cause and, and one that uh, uh, certainly when I, when, I saw, when, I, when I got the email about this interview, it was like, oh yeah, that is, that is definitely something I feel like people should know about and people should should support.
1: Yeah, definitely. Like you said, like I, I think people sometimes, you know, they they've heard stories or they're aware of how um, how much cancer can affect the individual about how, um, you know, difficult a process that can be. But like you said, the way that it affects the rest of the family and kind of rearranges the priorities um, and, and really, uh, you know, put some put some stress on some of that stuff. And that's where that's where Michael's way comes in to try and, uh, alleviate some of that stuff, uh, so that's, that gets pushed to the margins, that gets pushed to the periphery and, and allows the family to, to, you know, to use their resources to fight the cancer.
0: Well, I want to uh, move into some lighter stuff naturally and and uh, in my experience, and a few times i 've spoken to you before it 's always seemed like you 're one of the uh, smarter and more more discerning baseball minds out there uh, at least playing the game actively and uh, a good guy to talk to if if we 're hoping to to pull back the curtain a little bit on on life in the bullpen uh, and so you know, mm-hmm. I guess the the first thing is is just a, about the the season outlook for you guys. Uh, to what extent do you do you have a sense of of what your role is going to be in the A's bullpen this year? Um, we're we actually haven't sat down and, and gone
1: through the roles, um, but you know, I I think um, I'm I'm going to be in the mix somewhere in the back half of the game, and I think. As vague as that sounds, that's something that you can say about um, a lot of the guys in our bullpen. That's like, that's one of the strengths of our team right now is the depth that this bullpen has. Um, You know, you, you look at our, at at the guys down there in the bullpen, there's four of us that have um, significant experience in the closer role. Um, And then last year. Um, you know Ryan Dull had one of the best years of any reliever in the in the entire American League um, in a setup role, and and Liam Hendricks um, is, he was cut off to a little bit of a slow start last year coming over his first year with the A's, but from May on was lights out. Um, so we feel like depth is is our big thing, and no matter how it shakes out, uh, we're gonna we're gonna be in good shape.
0: Do you care if you're the like because it seems like some guys for for a lot of guys, you know, being named you are our ninth inning closer guy or you are our eighth inning guy. Uh does that matter to you? Is it do you care what if your role has a title? Um I don't. I know some guys do. Some guys get um
1: some guys like to know, you know, exactly what their their role is and and what uh inning they're going to pitch. Um uh, but for me like of course, of course, you want to be that guy that's being counted on in the most um, high leverage situations. You know you want to be throwing well enough so that when you come through the doors of that bullpen and you start jogging in, everybody on your team as you run uh, as you run onto the field all all your guys on defense are like, "All right, we got this because he's in the game now. everything's going to be okay and um, you know, so I want to be that guy that gets handed the ball in, in those high leverage situations. And sometimes sometimes the most important outs, the, the hardest outs to get, um, aren't the last three outs of the game. I mean, depending on the way the momentum is shifting or where the other team is at in their lineup, the biggest outs of the game might come in the seventh inning. Um, and, um, I think we saw that a little bit, uh, in the playoffs, the way that the Indians used Andrew Miller. Um, so no matter where I'm at sixth, seventh, eighth, or ninth inning, um, you know, I just hope I'm throwing well enough to be put in positions where, um, Bob and, and the team feel like they can count on me to, to come through in a big spot.
0: Yeah, and that was honestly the next question I was going to ask was if you had seen the postseason and the way Miller worked, and and does that does that make you excited as a guy who might be working, you know, seventh, eighth, sixth, not necessarily the ninth? Does it does it psych you up to see a guy sort of get credit for being so good in that middle inning role?
1: Yeah, it it, it really does. I mean, um,
0: now the way that they used him, um, I don't know if it's sustainable over a hundred sixty two game season. Yeah, I think so you would have it would have been like 230 innings out of the bullpen if they used them like that all year. Right, right,
1: but the the I think we're moving in that direction um where um you know like I said like you might be realizing that based on the way that the momentum might be starting to shift in a game like the biggest outs might come in the sixth or the seventh inning. And then, you know, of course it, of of course, in order for it to work, you have to have a a deep bullpen. You have to have other guys. They had these other guys, Shaw and Otero and Cody Allen that were coming in after him that were, you know, picking up where he left off and making sure that the zeros that he put up in the sixth and seventh inning held up in the eighth and ninth. Um, But um, you know, I've even seen, we did a, we, we started doing a little bit last year, where um there were a couple times where Ryan Madsen who was our who was our closer um he would get the eighth inning based on who the other team had coming up if it was a uh, you know the middle of a team's order and it was uh, all righties maybe he would he would go from the the ninth inning to the eighth inning um and then we kind of figure out the ninth inning after that but you know it's like it, it's the biggest spot of the game and you want your best guy going against their best guy um, in that right in that moment to to either stop the bleeding or you know to end the inning, so I think you know I think we might start seeing a little bit more of that.
0: Yeah, and it's always seemed strange to me that the way teams seem to let the save the stat dictate bullpen usage when like you said there might be times when you want your dominant righty in the seventh or in the eighth and can can maybe mix and match in the ninth but you want those big outs so it's it's always been funny to me to see like whether it's a a team scores the fourth run and then the closer sits down or you know a team goes ahead in, in a tie game and the closer gets up uh, I feel like it's it's sort of refreshing from a Uh, the standpoint of logic to see teams sort of move away from that a little bit.
1: Yeah. It seems like more of like a pragmatic approach. It seems like um, more of, um, I don't know if it's like simplistic or, or whatever, but um, I think when, when you get down to it, I can't speak, I can't speak for all bullpens, but I I know in our bullpen um, guys don't necessarily care about their role like the title of their role what they care about is they want to know before the game before the series how they might be used so that they can prepare um you know during the game they can get their their mind and their body uh ready to pitch uh and go through their kind of pre-pitch routine Um, So that when the phone rings, they, we all have a really good sense of who it's going to be. You know, it it might be different from game to game based on the starting lineup, the other team rolls out, or it might be different uh, from one series to the next. But, um, you know, Guys just really want to know um where where their number might be called in what situations might they be counted on to come in so that you know around the fourth or fifth inning, guys start locking it in mentally, they start focusing up and and moving around and stretching so that they can have an idea uh you know how to prepare
0: now as a relief pitcher and a relief pitcher who has been very very effective, you get a luxury that I am incredibly envious of, which is you get to choose your your warm-up song and that to me i think a good reason i'm not in the major leagues among millions of others is that i would probably spend more time thinking about my warm-up song than like the opposing hitters uh you've used uh for whom the bell tolls in the past is that is that the is that the song for this year yeah man i
1: think i'm gonna stick with it um i changed it uh for a for a one outing last year, I changed it. I came off the DL. I changed it to a different Metallica song called uh, called Disposable Heroes. And um, some people, um, some A's fans, they weren't too psyched about that. So um, I like the way one of my favorite parts about the song is the way that the fans get into it. Um, our, uh, our fans in the right field bleachers, man, they start headbanging and they go nuts. So um, I feed off that energy. So I wanted to make sure that... Uh, you know they were happy and they 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 could uh, they could rage when I came into the game. So yeah, I'm going to stick with uh, for whom the bell tolls by Metallica.
0: And uh, a lot of respect for going with old like Cliff Burton era Metallica over the newer stuff. There, um, have you have you uh, counseled any younger relievers on warm up song selection? Have you have you thought about going in any sort of other directions? <laughs> no, no, I mean
1: we talk about music quite a bit and, and, and John Axford is a, is a music uh, aficionado as well as a film aficionado. So he, he, um, he might help some guys, but I think for the most part, like, uh music wise you know uh Hendrix comes into ACDC cuz he's he's an he's from Australia so sense, yeah. there's a natural in, a connection there i think uh Dull, Ryan Dull comes into some metal song metal music um Ryan Madsen last year um started coming into uh the Grateful Dead um he, he didn't. He didn't have a song that that he wanted to come out to. Like he wanted them to play no music at all. He wanted them to be to be quiet. Um, like you know, the complete opposite of of how most closers enter the game. But he said he was like, I didn't have a, a, a certain song that I wanted to come into. And he's like, it might mess with them a little bit if they just played uh, two minutes of of nothing. Um, See, I he. he
0: Yeah, I love that. Like, I always thought it would be cool if a closer – if you could really coordinate it with the entire – like, every single person in the audience and the ballpark. If you could just have dead silence while a guy warms up, I feel like that would be terrifying.
1: That would be really funny. The other thing is, like, I was thinking about, like, totally flipping – Flipping the game on its head and just coming into like the Benny Hill theme music, um, or like I don't know if that would be like a bad omen for like my my outing, like you know <laughs> coming into like yak- coming into yakety sacks, or um, but I, I I wasn't sure. Um, I thought it might throw uh, some hitters off that game a little bit, maybe psych them out.
0: Yeah, like I I almost think like it might be cool someday, like and it would have to be a reliever who's getting paid, I guess, to to keep these guys on staff, but just like. Hire a string quartet that could be at every single game to play when you come in. So it's like a almost like a Hannibal Lecter approach, where it's like super classy, and then I'm throwing ninety eight. I think you know what? I think that's the direction baseball's going. We're trying. We're getting guys that
1: we want to show more personality, have some more fun, and I think, especially as a lefty reliever, I'm I might start kind of, you know, using my uh, my quirkiness to to start getting weird with it out there. That's a good. I like the string quartet idea.
0: Uh well. Like I'm just, happy a real, that,
1: uh, just a real somber, like haunting, um, you know, something that's like eerie. Maybe like there's a fog machine. I don't know. I I just I don't know. But there's we got the possibilities are endless.
0: I had a I had a real problem uh, when I played in bands with uh setting off smoke alarm alarms with our fog machine. So <laughs> you're, you're speaking to the right audience here. Um and I'm I'm happy to, I'm happy to have some input. Um, but I'm glad you brought up the having more fun thing because that's, that's sort, of a, it's sort of an ongoing conversation in baseball and, a, and sort of a frustrating one because it feels like it's really been like 20 years now. Like You can go back to, to Ricky Henderson and people saying, well, Ricky Henderson's too arrogant. He's having too much fun on the, on the field. He's disrespecting the game. Meanwhile, he's you know, one of the greatest players of all time. It sounds like you're on Team Batflip.
1: Yeah, a little bit I am. I know that sounds weird as a pitcher, but um as long as you don't um as long as a hitter um if you don't as long as you don't look at me, as long as you don't flip the bat at me um or my dugout um if you if you want to celebrate it, um I guess that's good, right? Like if people if people are hitting so many home runs off me that they like they hit a home run and they're like I got a jogger on the bases again, you know, they just put their head down. Um, I guess, I guess that would be like demoralizing for a different reason. But um, um, so, you know, like, I mean, and on the other side of that, if I strike that guy out in that situation, I, I I'm, I'm in the game and, and, more high leverage situations late in the game, you know? So like things are close, things are tense. Um, if I get a big strikeout in the big spot, like, I, I I mean, I'll show some emotion. Um, so I know I recognize that it has to go both ways and I never do it at the guy. I never do it towards um, the other team's dugout. Um, I kind of do it towards our dugout as like I'm blacking out on the way back from, uh, from this inning, like in this rage of adrenaline, but um you know, I, I think um, I, I really think somebody needs to write down all of the unwritten rules <laughs> so that we know so that we know um, what's okay and what's not. Um, because I think one of the best things about the WBC was the the just the raw emotion and the and the energy that that the teams were playing with. And I know that that's not necessarily sustainable over the course of a long season. But um, you know, seeing a guy fist pump as he rounds. First base after hitting a homer. I mean, I'm okay with that. I mean, that guy was jacked up that he got that he came through for his team in a big spot, and I'm okay with with showing some emotion. I mean, guys in this game work really hard to to try and come through um, in these spots, and when when it pays off, and when they when they do, like I'm okay with with having fun and, and showing some emotion.
0: Yeah, I think a great example uh, you witnessed up close uh, last May, Chris Davis hit his third home run of the game was a walk-off grand slam right and so he stops on the celebration and and shoots his helmet like a jump shot into the crowd at home plate that's awesome to me i want to see that every single time a guy hits a walk-off home run because i watch baseball for fun
1: right right that was that was <laughs> that was one of that became like one of the highlights of our season last year like you know he rounds third um after after hitting this Grand Slam, this walk off Grand Slam and gets like halfway down the line and pulls and and pulls up like Steph Curry from you know from forty feet out and, and shoots his helmet into into, you know, us who were gathered at, at home plate and um you know he it was it was one of those things like you said it, it worked because it was it was genuine, it was spur of the moment. It was not um antagonistic or um he wasn't doing it at the other team or anything like that. I mean, he had a monster game. He had one of the, he had the best game of his career up to that point and walked us off and pretty much single-handedly gave us a win that night, put the team on his back. I think, I think, um, you know, he's, however many runs we scored, I think almost all of them were from, were, were courtesy of him. So, um, you know, I, I think that that kind of personality and that kind of, um, fun and that kind of energy could uh could really help the game
0: so it sounds like for you the line is celebrating your own accomplishments celebrating with your own team is always cool and anything you're doing to show up the other team whether it's look at them look at their dugout uh spit at them throw the bat at them or anything like that that's where that's where that's where that's bad yeah yeah i mean there have been times where guys have have hit a home
1: run off me and, and, um, you know, admired their work if you will. And, and, um, and watched it, but, um, like, trust me, the last thing that I'm concerned about as a pitcher is what the guy did, um, with the bat after he hit the ball. I mean, I'm, I'm kicking myself and I'm yelling at myself in my head about the the bad pitch I just made. I mean, that guy is the least of my worries, um, at, in that moment. So, um, You know, as a pitcher, like it's it's kind of an occupational hazard. It's part of the job. Like it's going to happen over the course of a long season, a couple times. That's just that's just the way it is. Um, But at the same time, like I said, if if I get if I get that guy out, if I if I get a strikeout in a big spot, um, you know, I kind of I've I've done it a few times. I let out like a primal like scream, um, and that's just like all of that energy just coming out after uh, coming through in a big spot.
0: Now so I think maybe and and I think maybe something people don't realize about you is that you were a a minor league first baseman before converting and a lot of times when we hear about you know converted position players into pitchers it's a guy like Kenley Jansen who who never really hit much in in the minors you you raked I mean you were hitting pretty well when you made that conversion do you think you're a little bit more sympathetic to the home run hitters because you've hit home runs <laughs> Yeah, actually I do. Um, I, I really do because, um,
1: you know, like I hit, I, I made it to AAA as a hitter. Um, and, um, you know, I, I started having some, some serious injury issues and that's what, that's what led to the the position change. Um, but you know, I, I, I was, I got to a point in my career where I was in AAA hitting in the middle of the order. I, I played in the Arizona fall league, um, I was invited to Major League Spring Training uh, as a first baseman. I was added to the 40-man roster, so I could I could hit a little bit. And I remember the feeling that you get when you know you got one and you hit a home run you, right off right from when it leaves your bat. You know it's it's gone, and sometimes like your body just like takes over, and and you just you get this. You there's nothing like it in in even in pitching, I mean, you could strike out the side on nine pitches and it's not the same. Um, and keep in mind, like I only did this at triple a, like, I can't imagine what it's like when you have like 20, 30, 40,000 people at the game and, and you hit the ball and the play starts going nuts. I mean, it's gotta be like a pretty cool feeling. Um, so like there've been times where like, there were times where I, I hit a home run and like my body just kind of like took over and like I would I round the bases and like I apologize to the catcher like I was like I'm sorry I didn't mean to do I I didn't mean to do that I I'm sorry and he would just, he would just kind of like laughed and um and told me to like get back to the dugout <laughs> um, but um so yeah I, I I guess like I have an idea of like what it's like to hit a home run and then to to do it in a big spot in a big league game like yeah I'd be I I'd, I'd be pretty jacked up too just just uh, i got no problem with guys uh having fun and and uh celebrating their accomplishments i guess but just don't do it at me
0: yeah i have no idea what it's like to hit a home run but i, I know from just from like the batting cage and stuff the best feeling about hitting a ball well is that it almost feels like nothing like it just feels like the the, the ball yeah. belongs at the end of the bat like that or belongs on the barrel of the bat like that uh can you describe that feeling for those of us who who don't enjoy home who, Don't enjoy the experience of hitting home runs very frequently.
1: (laughs) You know, from, uh, from what I remember about hitting home runs back when, I mean, this is going back uh,
0: 2011,
1: right? Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's weird because, um, it's going to sound weird, but if, it feels like nothing, it feels like, um, like when everything works mechanically just right, um, you know, and it becomes such a fluid motion, and then the, the you barrel the ball up, and when you you barrel it up like that, like it uh, you don't really you don't feel anything, you don't feel any any vibration um, or anything from the bat, um, and like it's like it's like you swung at like fifty percent effort, and everything just kind of clicked and the timing of your swing and everything worked. So I remember so many times where like you would try to hit a home run, um, that would never work. Uh, but when you were thinking about, you know, stay back and just try to hit like a hard line drive, like, you know, that's when, that's when it would, that's when I gave myself a chance to, to, to hit home runs. And, um, I think, you know, I have all of like 30 something home runs in the minor leagues, but, Um, it's a, it was enough to know that it's a pretty cool feeling.
0: Do you miss hitting at all?
1: No, no, I don't. I get that question a lot and, um, I don't miss hitting even a little bit. Uh, it's really hard. Yeah. (laughs) Hitting is, hitting is really hard. And, uh, I like being the guy on the mound that's calling the shots. Essentially as a, as a hitter, you're kind of reacting to what the pitcher's doing as a pitcher. You're, you're dictating uh, the tempo and the and the whole at bat. Uh, so I enjoy being on that side of it much better. So I'm glad I'm glad it worked out the way it did.
0: Yeah, pitching seems like you're you're more in control. Like it probably is. It easier to control emotionally a little bit because you're the yeah, like you said, you're the one who's uh, who's going to dictate what happens.
1: Yeah, and I think as a as a hitter, like if you quote unquote fail seven times, I mean, you're, you're really good at what you do. Um, if I go out there 10 times and seven of them, uh, I don't do my job. Um, that's bad. That's not good. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, yeah. So, I mean, when you think about it that way, um, you know, hitting, hitting is, is really hard. And I think the mental, um, the mental grind of being a hitter, uh, is, is, um, really difficult it I think it's a lot more of a roller coaster ride than than what a pitcher tends to go through but um no I'm I don't I don't miss it I I I find myself like I'll sit in the bullpen and like I'll be watching our guys and I'm like man like I know like I'll be like you know look for that guy's two seamer and hit it the other way (laughs) and then I'm like oh my gosh like you know how many things have to go right so I to you do that like hitting's really hard it's not as easy as it looks um, and I catch myself doing it sometimes too. I'm as guilty of it as anybody. But
0: um, yeah, hitting is—I uh, I like pitching a lot more. The well, last thing I want to—I want to ask about before I let you go. Uh, around Thanksgiving this year, uh, you and, and Aaron, your your fiancé, your girlfriend, uh, yeah, w- welcome. Fiance all right i I wanted to make sure before i, I that would have been awkward but uh, <laughs> uh you welcomed some Syrian immigrants for a thanksgiving uh some Syrian refugees for a Thanksgiving dinner. What was that experience like um actually that was that was last that was last thanksgiving okay um, but because of
1: the, because of the news cycle like it it was something that that kind of um, cycled back into relevancy again but um there we found out that there were going to be, um, in her hometown of Chicago, um, they were, they had allowed, um, Syrian refugees to come, but they had announced that they were going to close it. They were going to, they were going to stop, um, like, you know, there were, um, states and cities across the country that were going to stop accepting refugees. And it was something that we just decided, uh, that we wanted to welcome them. We wanted to show them that we were grateful that they had finally, uh, made it to America. I think when, when we started, uh, looking into it and we realized, uh, what goes into the refugee process, that was something that, uh, was eye opening for me. I mean, the way that these people, they didn't just decide they wanted to come over. Um, you know, they, they go to, they flee wherever they were living they go to a refugee camp where they apply for refugee status and then they spend 18 to 24 months being vetted, uh, getting background checks, um, going through, um, interview processes. Um, and, and, and basically they, they go through, um, all of these checks and then finally at the end they get, They get told, you know, where they're going to go. And uh, so when it was all said and done, there were were 21 uh, Syrian refugee families that came to Chicago. And, I mean, these people came with with literally like what they could carry, um, you know, maybe a suitcase. But they were about to go through their first Chicago winter. after going after, after living, after living for, for two years in, in a refugee camp. Um, you know, I mean, tents like, uh, shelters, like really like rudimentary, uh, living conditions. And, um, it was just our way of saying, welcome to America. Um, Thanksgiving, I think in a lot of ways is the most American holiday that we have. And, um, we, um, we just bought them a big, Big traditional Thanksgiving dinner, and they had they had some traditional um, had some traditional Syrian food as well. But um, Aaron and I weren't actually able to attend, but it was hosted at the American Islamic Center in Chicago, and um, the Mayor Rahm Emanuel and his aldermen uh, served uh, the food; they were the waiters. Um, so there was there were um, I don't I forget what the final count was, but 21 families. I mean. Um, you know, uh, women and children, I mean, you, and, and you see these people and they, they have the same, um, they have the same basic you know, wishes and desires that, that we do. They want to come to America because this is, this is the land of opportunity to, I think to a lot of people around the world, this is still the land of opportunity and they want to come here and they're willing to, they're willing to wait for two years in a refugee camp. They're willing to go through these things just to have a chance to come here. Um, and now that they're here, you know they want to make the most of it. they're getting jobs, they're going to our schools um, they're a part of our communities now um uh, some of them in some of them just the way that it's worked throughout history are going to join our military. They're so grateful that they had a chance to come here that they're going to volunteer to serve and protect and defend this country that that took them in when 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 no one else would um, so it seems like um it seems like the right thing to do in the spirit of Thanksgiving. And, um, you know, it, uh, like I said, a a year, a year after we did it, I never thought it would be something that would still be in the news, but, um, you know, it's a, a crazy, crazy time right now.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think people are, are generally, uh, or at least some people are, are are eager to see a little bit of good news and, and heartwarming news. And I, and I think that's probably a story that that touched some people.
1: Yeah. I think once, once, once I started learning more about the refugee process and then the, you think about the, um, the impact that refugees and, and immigrants have on our country, on our society and our economy and, um, you know, if we can, uh, if we can help them out once they get here, man, um, it can go a really long way. And, um, it was, uh, it was good, man. It was, it was seeing, seeing, um, you know, the pictures and everything they had, they had so much fun and we, we still keep in touch with, uh, one of the families as they, you know, continue to get adjusted to, to life in America. Um, to life in Chicago, um, it's a, it's a lot different than anything that, they that they've ever experienced. But like I said, they're so, they're so grateful for the opportunity that they're, they're going to do everything in their power to make it work. They're, they're definitely not here for a handout or a free ride. Um, these people are, are, are have gone through, have gone through hell to get here. They have fled a civil war. They fled terrorism. Um, they're here and they're, they're going to make the most of it.
0: I got to let you go. Thank you so much for your time. Where can people find the, the do, do, do not, there is no try t-shirts? Yeah. The t-shirts are available at dot com. Um, and, uh, you,
1: you go to the website and there's a, there's a banner, a banner right on the top of the page. Um, you can't miss it. It's, it's my, my stupid ginger beard is, is all over sure. the, uh, the top half of that website. So you, you can't miss it. Um, I, I just uh, I, I just appreciate you having me on. I appreciate you you letting me plug the shirt. Um, it's been an awesome fundraiser
0: so far, and um, you know hopefully we can uh, we can keep it going. Sean, thanks so much. You can find Sean on Twitter at what would do. do That's d o o d o at the end, one word. Uh, I really appreciate the time and, and good luck on the season. Thank you very much, man. Thanks for having me.